U.S. President John F. Kennedy was plagued by multiple illnesses during his lifetime. According to Robert E. Gilbert's book, he was frequently hospitalized with serious illnesses that included weakness, nausea, vomiting, and low blood pressure, leading to a diagnosis of Addison's disease. At one point in 1947, he was so unwell that the physician who examined him gave him less than a year to live. As we now know, it was not Addison's disease that claimed Kennedy's life, but he became one of the most widely known public figures with the condition, characterized by the classic bronzing of his skin. While he tried to deny his diagnosis while running for president, as this would be considered a political liability, his autopsy confirmed that he had almost no traces of adrenal glands. In the 1800s, when Addison's, or adrenal insufficiency, was first discovered, it was fatal. The production of synthetic substances, such as deoxycorticosterone acetate, DOCA, in the 1900s, greatly reduced mortality rate. Now, with the availability of hormone replacement, individuals with this condition can lead a normal life, but it is still an important condition to diagnose and treat, as adrenal crisis carries a significant mortality rate. Today, on our show, we talk about lack of adrenal hormones and the consequences in acute and chronic settings. Today, our patient has adrenal insufficiency, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Intern at Work, a podcast made by internal medicine residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled Adrenal Insufficiency, When the Stress Alone is Not Enough. Let's start with minute physiology. The hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis is an important hormonal axis in charge of regulation of the stress responses in the body. The hypothalamus secretes corticotropin-releasing hormone, CRH, which stimulates the anterior pituitary to secrete adrenocorticotropic hormone, ACTH. This, in turn, will stimulate the adrenal glands to secrete cortisol, the hormone that helps regulate blood glucose levels, metabolism, blood pressure, and reduce inflammation. Cortisol has a circadian rhythmicity that peaks in the early morning as we wake up and falls by the evening when we go to bed. The adrenal gland is composed of the cortex and the medulla. The cortex has three different zones that are in charge of secreting different hormones. The outer zone, zona glomerulosa, generates mineralocorticoids such as aldosterone, which play a role in electrolyte and blood pressure regulation. This is in response to plasma angiotensin II and potassium levels. The middle zone, zona fasciculata, produces glucocorticoids such as cortisol under the effect of ACTH. The inner zone, zona reticularis, produces weak androgens such as DHEA, dehydroepiandosterone. The adrenal medulla is made up of chromaffin cells that release catecholamines, epinephrine, and norepinephrine by stimulation of the sympathetic nervous system, or splanchnic nerves. We refer to primary adrenal insufficiency when there is damage to both adrenal glands. This will cause an elevation of ACTH levels as the pituitary tries to compensate for the lack of hormone production. Secondary adrenal insufficiency is when the problem is at the pituitary level, and as such, ACTH levels are usually low or inappropriately normal. Alright, so now that we've talked about the basic physiology, let's talk about the approach. Adrenal insufficiency patients can present with an insidious development of symptoms or an acute adrenal crisis. It is thus important that you keep adrenal insufficiency in your differential diagnosis of unstable patients as adrenal crisis carries a high mortality rate. If you are worried about a patient, alert your senior or staff and move the patient to a monitored setting. 
When taking the history, patients often report non-specific symptoms of anorexia, nausea, vomiting, fatigue, and weight loss. It is thus important to keep specific etiologies in mind when eliciting a history or doing a physical examination, as this will give you a general idea of the cause of adrenal insufficiency and its consequences. As with all patients, ensure that you get a set of vitals to ensure the patient is stable. Doing orthostatic vitals is of utmost importance as orthostatic changes can give you the first clue of possible adrenal insufficiency. For primary adrenal insufficiency, an autoimmune process is the most common cause of adrenal damage. Ask about other autoimmune conditions such as thyroid disease and diabetes that may signify autoimmune polyendocrine syndromes. Exogenous steroid use can also generate adrenal suppression. Any more than 7.5 mg per day of prednisone equivalent for more than three weeks can cause adrenal insufficiency. High doses of opiates can also induce adrenal suppression, so make sure to take a good medication history. Previous infections such as TB, HIV, and fungal infections can also affect adrenal gland function, so ask about these and their risk factors. In cases of trauma, sepsis, or any thrombotic states such as antiphospholipid syndrome, Think about adrenal hemorrhage or infarction as a possible cause of adrenal insufficiency. Lack of cortisol can lead to hypoglycemia or unexplained reduction in insulin requirements in diabetic patients, so make sure you look for signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia or changes in the patient's insulin regimen. Mineralocorticoid insufficiency can lead to orthostatic hypotension, so ask about dizziness or presyncopal episodes. Similarly, ask about muscle cramps, abdominal pain, and salt craving that come along with dysregulated sodium and potassium levels. Lack of androgens is often inconsequential, but may lead to loss of axillary or pubic hair in women. In men, testicular production of androgens makes up for the lack of adrenal DHEA, so these changes are not seen. Finally, patients with primary AI will also have skin pigmentation changes due to the elevation of ACTH which stimulates melanocytes and results in darkening of the skin. If possible, ask patients about changes that they or their family members have noticed. Often, looking at a previous picture, like a driver's license, can give clues. On exam, look for changes in the skin or palmar creases, extensor surfaces of the elbow, lips, and oral mucosa. For secondary adrenal insufficiency, remember that the problem lies at the level of the pituitary. Pituitary tumors and infiltrative diseases such as hemochromatosis, sarcoidosis, or amyloidosis can affect it. Physical compression by tumors can create visual changes, bitemporal hemianopsia, and can generate other pituitary hormone dysfunction, hypothyroidism, hypogonadism, hyperprolactinemia, diabetes insipidus. In the postpartum period, pituitary ischemic necrosis in cases of Sheehan syndrome or lymphocytic hypophysitis can lead to secondary adrenal insufficiency. Keep all of these things in mind and ask about them in history. Remember that in secondary adrenal insufficiency, it is only a lack of ACTH that affects cortisol production. Mineralocorticoids remain intact, so you will not see hyperkalemia and you will not get any skin hyperpigmentation. Alright, now we're ready for workup. Once the patient is stable, send a full blood work panel, including CBC, looking for anemia, eosinophilia, or lymphocytosis, electrolytes, looking for hyponatremia or hyperkalemia, extended electrolytes, mild hypercalcemia, creatinine, mild renal impairment, and glucose, hypoglycemia. You can also send for adrenal antibodies if you suspect autoimmune adrenal insufficiency. An ADM cortisol is a good screening test. 
If it is greater than 500 millimoles per liter, adrenal insufficiency can be excluded, and it is considered less likely above 400 millimoles per liter. If it is less than 100 millimoles per liter, it is concerning for adrenal insufficiency. Of note, you have to consider conditions that increase cortisol binding globulin, such as pregnancy or estrogen therapy, which can give a falsely elevated cortisol concentration. If the cortisol level is inconclusive, an ACTH stimulation test is used to confirm the diagnosis. First, measure serum cortisol and ACTH levels at baseline. Next, inject 250 micrograms of cosyntropin IV or IM. Measure cortisol levels at 30 minutes and 60 minutes after the injection. A normal response will raise your cortisol level above 500 millimoles per liter. This test is of little utility in secondary adrenal insufficiency within four to six weeks of onset, as in pituitary surgery or apoplexy, as the adrenal glands have not yet atrophied, so you will see a falsely normal response. Based on your baseline ACTH level, history, and physical, you can select the most appropriate imaging modality as the next step. A high ACTH suggests primary adrenal insufficiency, so CT adrenal can be ordered. A low or inappropriately normal ACTH suggests a secondary cause, so an MRI cella would be your next step. Alright, let's talk about some basics of treatment, namely glucocorticoid replacement. Hydrocortisone 15 to 25 mg daily divided in 2 to 3 doses is the cornerstone of treatment. Usually 10 mg on awakening and 5 mg in mid-afternoon is an appropriate dose for a 65 kg person. Make sure to look for signs and symptoms of Cushing's as a sign of overtreatment during your follow-up visits. In primary adrenal insufficiency, mineralocorticoid replacement is essential to maintain proper fluid and electrolyte balances. Replacement dose is usually fludrocortisone 50 to 200 micrograms daily. This should be titrated to orthostatic symptoms and potassium levels. Patients should also be instructed to be liberal in their sodium intake. Don't forget about patient education either. Patients should always carry with them a medic alert or steroid card in case of loss of consciousness. They should also have additional hydrocortisone tablets to take in case of illness. If they are ill enough to miss work or school, they should double or triple their daily dose depending on illness severity. If they are unable to tolerate PO, then injectable hydrocortisone and an ER visit should follow. Alright, let's finish off with a word on adrenal crisis. Approximately 8% of people with adrenal insufficiency will experience an adrenal crisis each year, and it often can be the first presentation of AI. Gastrointestinal disturbances are the most common precipitants, but surgery, trauma, strenuous physical activity, pregnancy, and even psychological and emotional stress can be triggers. The principal manifestation is hypotension and hypovolemic shock. If you suspect adrenal crisis, immediately give hydrocortisone 100 mg IM or IV, followed by a 1 liter normal saline bolus over 30 minutes. You should continue hydrocortisone 100 mg TID or 50 mg QID until the patient is hemodynamically stable. At doses of hydrocortisone over 50 mg per day, there is sufficient mineralocorticoid receptor action, so no additional mineralocorticoid therapy is needed. Remember that glucocorticoids exert a permissive effect on catecholamines, so lack of cortisol makes hypotension refractory to fluids and inotropes. Once a patient is ready for discharge, double their maintenance oral steroid doses for 48 hours, then ask them to resume normal dosing. Alright, that's all for today. Thank you for listening to today's episode, Adrenal Insufficiency, When Stress Alone Is Not Enough. 
This episode is written by Dr. Hernan Franco, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Mira Luthra, endocrinology, and by Dr. Kajeni Srivarathija, internal medicine. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai and developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karianopoulos. This episode was recorded and produced by Leah Karianopoulos. Music by Lakshmi Santhamon. The Internet Work series is overseen by Dr. Grant Vegas. Don't forget to check for additional resources and our infographics at www.theinternetwork.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.